If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, this is a phenomenal paragraph in the Word of God. Absolutely phenomenal. It is a, a picture of, of what happens at the rapture. I'm sure we'd all kind of like to think about that from time to time. I I had a sweatshirt, I think, at one time where it's a picture of tennis shoes left on the ground and the person being sucked out of the tennis shoes at the rapture. How accurate that's going to be, I don't know. It will probably be, we will be moved at the speed of light. So there's, yeah, I, I don't know. We can have fun speculating about that, but we're going to read what the book has to say about, about the rapture of the church. Uh, when we do that, we're, I'm going to uh, uh, ask that you just take, just uh, clear your head out of all the pressures of the world and everything else. Is, is anybody hot, cold, indifferent? What are you guys? Huh? Mediocre, fine. All right, good. Because there's so much hot air comes from this pulpit. And warm some stuff up here long before the time. So, <laughs> let's take this time for prayer to get ourselves ready to study God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Indeed, we can shout to You because of all the things that You have made, Father, that You alone are worthy of worship. And Father, you have shown us this so many different ways on what you've made in nature and what you've revealed through your word. And Father, we just stand amazed and blessed to be able to come into your presence. I pray, Father, as we open up this portion of your word, the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us, maybe clarify some things that we had questions about. And Father, better prepare us for what, it, what you're going to do when you tap your son and say it's time to go back. So, Father, thank you for this. We pray that you'll nourish our souls with it. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Now, we have seen uh, in the first 19 verses of this chapter, the resurrection is grounded in history. Okay, It is a historical fact. There are eyewitnesses to the fact. In this case, a lot more eyewitnesses that there are than there are to a lot of historical facts recorded in, in ancient history and in the books. The second part of the outline was from verse 20 to 49, and that's the fact that Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the grounds for revival. Whenever you're in a culture that nobody thinks Jesus is coming back, and no, people even question whether or not he was raised from the dead, guess what's grounds for revival? Because his resurrection is what guarantees ours. So it is grounds for revival. And the third part of the outline is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the guarantee of our revelation. I didn't change that back, did I? At least I caught it before halfway through the deal. Nobody out there going... Anyway... Okay, what we're going to look at is nine facts about the resurrection. We're going to look in verses 50 to 58. We're going to pick up some facts, some things that are stated as dogmatic fact. This is dogmatic truth. This is doctrine. Sometimes people say, well, Drew doesn't teach doctrine. No, he doesn't teach it in the old way of 
This is the category and the doctrine of so-and-so and all that. But through every verse, you're going to find doctrine taught through that particular verse. And that's just the way I've chosen to do it. But <clears throat> verse 50 says, now I say this. This word to say is phamey. I, I like this word because it, it logos, or the words it means just to speak. This is the word it means to enlighten. So Paul is enlightening us. That's his intention to do that. This is inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's coming through Paul. And he says, now I am enlightening this, brethren. He says that flesh and blood cannot inherit a kingdom of God. Now the word here for inherit or cannot is is a strong negative with dunamai. There's no power to be able to inherit the kingdom. Kloronomeo is a verb that encompasses to inherit the kingdom, to receive by choice, to inherit. It's used in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians as well. So he says, flesh and blood, mere flesh and blood, like we are now, cannot inherit the kingdom. He says there's something that has to happen. There's a change that's got to be made. And he says, <clears throat> neither, and it's not the kingdom, it's a kingdom of God. He's saying that the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Okay? That's what he's saying. So when we're looking for an earthly kingdom, and all we do is look for an earthly kingdom on this planet, we're really kind of missing the point. Because there's a spiritual kingdom that you have to go through to get to a physical kingdom. Now, <clears throat> he says, neither does the perishable... Perishable is pethora. It's a word that is used in 1542. We've already seen it. And it's a word that we've translated corruptible. Neither does a corruptible, like our body, inherit the incorruptible, aptharsia, which is, simply means not subject to corruption. So it's a pretty clear statement that he has made. Now, this enlightenment contains more information concerning the rapture of the church. And I need to go back because I didn't put all these in the summary box. But it's information about the rapture of the church. The term flesh and blood looks simply at mortal, unregenerate man. That's all it looks like. Fresh, flesh and blood, that's who we are. That's who everybody is. But we are now his children. We are a new creation. All kinds of things happen when we put our faith in Christ. Paul simply says a kingdom instead of the kingdom to imply the need for regeneration to enter any kingdom of God. And I think the Jews missed that. They missed it royally because all they looked for was a physical kingdom. They wanted the Messiah to come in and throw out the Romans and establish his physical kingdom on earth. And so they failed to realize that faith in him was where it started. So they didn't get it. When they came at the when he came at the first advent and they rejected him, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, all they were talking about was he's here to establish and set up his physical kingdom. A week later they turned on him because they figured out that's not why he's there. Okay? They didn't figure out why he was there, but Jesus wasn't coming to overthrow the Romans. He wasn't sending word around that when I do something, all of you rise up and kill a Roman. He, wa he wasn't doing that. 
He told Pilate that. Is your kingdom of this world? Pilate, he said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would be fighting. And they're not fighting. Okay? It's not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual, heavenly, eventually, kingdom. Now, how do you get into the physical kingdom that will happen for a thousand years in the millennium? You have to enter the spiritual one to begin with. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You are made a resident of the kingdom right then. You just don't have the physical out in, out in front of you. How do I know that? Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He delivered us from the domain or authority of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's not a future tense. Those are all accomplished facts. That's the way it's set up and established in the Greek. Now, faith in Christ, not genetics, is what will save. John 1, verse 12 and 13. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, you can't just decide you're going to save yourself. That's what, the, that's what those verses are saying. It's not your will that saves you. It's your choice of the one that does. See? I can't say, well, I'm going to be in heaven forevermore, and by my own will and my own strength and own power, I'm going to do that. And John says, you can't do that. Okay? You're born by grace through faith. <clears throat> now, one must be born of the Spirit. John 3, verses 5 and 6. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. So, what does it mean being born of water? All of us, having been born of a mama, which we, that's how we all got here, there's a bag of waters, and these people were not so backwards and stupid they didn't know about it. So he's talking about, guess what? Flesh and blood. You want to get into the kingdom. If you stay flesh and blood, you can't get in. But how do you not stay just simply flesh and blood? By faith. And that's the message of, of the gospel. Why? We're all humanly born into corruption. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. This is the verse that <laughs> Gary and I were talking about. For the creation was subjected to futility. The vanity. The whole creation was judged. And you have to ask, when was it judged? It's, it's already happened. It was subjected to futility. Not of its own will. Creation didn't really have a will. He says, but because of him who subjected it. Now, when God judges people, creatures, things, when he does it, he normally judges the environment that they're in. He says in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption. I heard uh, not too long ago, I think Mars, aren't they saying now that Mars had evidence of a nuclear war at one time? Fascinating how they can come up with this stuff. And they come up with a statement like that. I don't think anybody can prove or disprove, but we need money to research it more. Always comes back to how can I get more grant money to do things. It'll be set free from its slavery to 
to corruption. The uh, scientists know the universe is running down. They call it the entropy death of the universe. And that one of these days it'll go into so much chaos and disorder that it'll eventually kill itself. That's what they say. It's called the entropy death of the universe. Because things go from order to disorder unless energy is put into the system. It's proven by your garage or your closets. You can fix those things, sleep, and the demons come in and move everything around at night so that you can't find what you're looking for and you have to go buy another one that you will find once you go buy another one. Now, mere man lacks the power to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God. So he has to escape the corruption to inherit them. 2 Peter 1.4 By these, what? What he has made, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In order them that by the, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. All right, the world is corrupt. How do you escape it? He's given you a precious and magnificent promise. What? Whosoever believes in my son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a precious and magnificent promise, if ever there was one. So I'm not trusting my will. I'm not trusting my my works. I'm not trusting my good deeds. I'm trusting what he said, because that is what faith is is about. <clears throat> Partaking of the divine nature, back when we went through Second Peter 1 earlier this year, uh, I love that passage because we go through his sovereignty. How do we partake of his sovereignty, his righteousness, his justice, his eternal life, his love, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, um, um, and the other one, omniscience, and his immutability and his veracity. We partake of all those. To what degree? Well, the more we realize who he is and what he's done and how he can use us in that regard, the more we get to enjoy that. There are three distinct kingdoms described in the Word. The spiritual kingdom for regenerate mankind. Romans 14, verses 16 and 17. Don't let what is good, what is for you a good thing be spoken as evil. Now he's telling us it's kind of the dinner party deal that he did in 1 Corinthians 9. If you go in and they offer you meat sacrificed to idols and they don't have a problem with it, eat it. Okay? Because it's not really anything, because an idol's not really anything. That's Paul's Paul's reasoning to do that. He's saying, don't put non-essential stumbling blocks in front of people. And usually that's done with food. And to this day, we still do that with food. We don't put those non-essential stumbling blocks in front of people. He says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Interesting, in the millennial kingdom, we're all going to sit down to eat and drink with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, But then we'll be in a new body, and we'll know that the kingdom is not all about food. We kind of like food. It's uh, enjoyable things. But it is rather righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's the spiritual kingdom. There is the millennial kingdom of Matthew 25. <clears throat> it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, this passage is in the separation of the sheep and the goats. And the, the goats are going to be cast into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's unbelieving humanity that's, that survives the tribulation. What a bummer. Get all the way through the tribulation and get chunked into the lake of fire. But the sheep inherit the kingdom. Now, isn't that a great, great thing that he's talking about? There is going to be, because he's the king, he can make the rules, he can change the rules. He says, okay, I'm going to have some flesh and blood enter into this millennial kingdom. But the one that flesh and blood can't enter then has got to be a spiritual kingdom. Does it not? And then there's the heavenly kingdom described in 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's something we've all got to look forward to. We're going to... But you get there by the spiritual kingdom because you don't get any of the rest without faith in Christ. Now, righteousness is required for entry and enjoyment. We need to be righteous. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit a kingdom of God? doesn't say thee there. Okay, so you're not going to get the spiritual millennial or heavenly kingdom if you're unrighteous and it stays unbroken for all your time. Because you can't get righteous enough to get into heaven. So God gives you the ticket, the entry pass, the pike pass to go through. He gives it to you. It's called justification. That means that he has declared you righteous. Now that is an amazing blessing because all of us are unrighteous. And all of us try to get in by our works. Adam and Eve did with the loincloths and the all of that sort of stuff. They tried to clothe themselves. They couldn't do it. And so, <clears throat> do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit a kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. <clears throat> Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. About as clear as you can say it. And such were, <laughs> such were some of you. Facts be known, probably all of them. They did, <laughs> it was written to, to Corinth. But you were washed. You were sanctified. We see this washing that goes all the way back to the time of the tabernacle with the ordination of the priest. We saw it in Leviticus chapter 8 last week. Moses was called to wash the priest before they were ordained and anointed with oil and sprinkled. He was called to wash the priest. Guess who's got to do the washing that gets us into heaven? It's the Lord himself. We can't take a bath, we can't be baptized and get into heaven, we can't do anything it's got to be a divine work that gets us into heaven we're invited to inherit a blessing 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 
which says to sum it up, let everybody be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Because you were called for this very purpose so that you might inherit a blessing. Inherit a blessing. Word blessing means a good word. Literally what it means. Now, can you think of a better word group than well done, good and faithful servant? I don't think there is any. To stand in front of the Lord, like in Matthew 25, to stand in front of the Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we ought to be looking for. Now, the first fact, unregenerate humanity will inherit nothing. What will they get? Nothing. Unregenerate humanity. And that tells us they're not even going to get the millennial kingdom. So when he pulls those goats out and throws them away, the start of the millennial kingdom is all believers. And it's human beings. And it starts with 144,000 male virgin Jews. And they take, take wives. And they start repopulating the earth. They're earth dwellers, if you will. There will be more human beings in the millennial kingdom, just like you and I, with sin natures, that need salvation. How do we know that? Because they'll be dying still. They need salvation. And then he'll fix all of that. After that comes the end. We saw earlier in this chapter. Unregenerate humanity is going to inherit nothing. Now the fact of change is in verse 51. Behold. This is the word hara'o. It's an imperative point in time. It's actually the 77th command found in the book of 1 Corinthians. It means take a good look at it. Two different words for look. Blepo means to glance. Hara'o means stop and look. That word behold comes from hara'o. So when it says behold, it says take a good look at it. I tell you a mystery. That usually gets everybody's attention, doesn't it? It's amazing how we like mysteries. If we're going to watch a movie or watch a show, we like mysteries. Now, Rocky is not much of a mystery after the fourth or fifth time you've seen it. But we still like to see mysteries. <clears throat> and he says, I tell you a mysterion. A mystery is that which is known only to the privileged. He says, in the word, proper word order, a mystery to you I speak. He sounds like Yoda. Okay, putting the verbs at the end and nouns at the front and a mystery to you, indirect object in the middle, I speak. He flip-flops the sentence. But that's the way it was written. We shall not all sleep. Now, <laughs> interesting for a Sunday morning, isn't it? We shall not all sleep. The, uh, the word here for sleep uh, is koimao is the word used for sleep. It's a strong negative. It's a future tense. So it is dealing with a prophetic revelation. We shall not all sleep. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, 14, and 15, it is used of Christian death. And this 1 Thessalonians was, was circulated five years earlier. So the Corinthians should have known about this as that letter to the, Corinth, uh, to the Thessalonians made its rounds through the churches. 
the we has to refer to the church age believer. Or else Paul made a mistake somewhere if he was only referring to himself, his group, or the Corinthian church. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Changed is the word alasso. Very interesting word. It means used six times means to change from one form to another. So this is both a prophecy and a promise. We shall not. Uh, we shall all be changed. It's going to happen sometimes in the sometime in the future, and it is a promise that we can we can count on. So the resurrection for the church is different from the resurrection for the other dispensations. Thus it is part of the mystery. The whole church age is a mystery in the dispensational timeline. Because Israel, in Daniel 9, 24-27, 70 weeks are allotted to Israel, which is 70 weeks of seven, 490 years. It's been well documented. We've been through it multiple times. So far, 483 of those 490 years have been fulfilled. There's seven more years yet to be fulfilled. And that's the age of Israel. Whenever the Lord comes back at the end of it and claims his throne and defeats all of his enemies and sets up his millennial kingdom. Now, Israel had a legitimate offer of the kingdom, which includes the millennial kingdom. But they rejected their king. And didn't catch God off guard. He didn't say, I hope you guys don't do that. He did in a way, but he, he knew what they were going to do because he's omniscient and he can't not know how stupid they were going to be. So he, he said, okay, so that seven years is age of Israel. It starts with a rapture. It ends with the second advent. Okay, So that's the, the age of Israel. After that is the millennial kingdom that, that is to come. Now, this thing in the middle of this last seven years is called a parenthesis by some. The church is a parenthesis in the age of Israel. The church has its own dispensation. It has its own dispensation because it's got its own priesthood. Hebrews 7.12, where there's a change of priesthood, of necessity, there's a change of law. So we are no longer under the law of Moses. There is a change of law. That's why some people say there are no dispensations. And I say, are, are, are you still offering up the sacrifices? We know that there's a change of something. All the churches know that. So here is this hole. And this hole, this parenthesis, is called the mystery. Paul develops that in Ephesians 1 through 3 to a greater degree. He says... But this is the mystery. Not all church age believers will die, physically die, before their resurrection. So that means some of us, I know a lot of us have been looking for the rapture for 40 years. And we're still here. And we've also seen loved ones pass on. And the promises from 1 Thessalonians 4 are just wonderful because it does say one day we're going to be back together again. But some people are not going to die before they are changed. Now, how do we know God can do this? Because he's already demonstrated it in history. The divine power to achieve this event. Remember earlier in the chapter, Paul's telling us, 
Only by divine power is this resurrection going to take place. The divine power to leave us here and yet change us without physical death is demonstrated in Enoch, pre-flood, and Elijah, post-flood. So, <clears throat> that power. Now, unregenerate humanity will, will inherit nothing. And the second fact is change is required to inherit a kingdom of God. When you believe in Christ, you're changed. And the Foundations 2 book on the back gives you 50 things that we receive at the moment of salvation. Now, we don't fully realize them. It takes, it's like we get 50 gifts under the Christmas tree because they're all called grace gifts and it takes us the rest of our life to unwrap them and figure out how to use them. It's just like when I was a kid and I got an erector set. That was the greatest thing ever. Got it out from under that Christmas tree, opened this thing up and go, now what do I do with it? <laughs> it's kind of like some of the other gifts we've got, right? Like resurrection to eternal life. We go, well, what do I do with that? Shouldn't that make me brave? If I know where I'm going to spend eternity, that, that should result in, in bravery. And so we're unwrapping that you're a new creation in Christ. You have been given the righteousness of God. The, fa the Father has been satisfied because his righteousness and justice had to be satisfied. That's who he was. So grace came with a cost, didn't it? Grace is free, but costs somebody. Just like it always does. That's the way it works. Now the promise is that all believers will be changed into a new body. If we were to go back through 1 Thessalonians 4.13 up to 5.11, we would find out there's two different kinds of sleep that's being talked about there. Both are translated as sleep. And in chapter 4, it's this koimao word. The sleep of believers prior to the rapture. In chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, it's a gregoreo word, which is a word that means to be spiritually asleep, which is what happens to us from time to time. We get wrapped up in our own little world and in our own little pity party, and the next thing you know, we, we fall asleep spiritually at the switch. In 1 Thessalonians 5, I love that passage, because it says whether we are awake or spiritually asleep, we're going to get to go at the rapture. So when the rapture happens, all believers are going to get to go. And there are going to be a lot of them go, manna, what is it? And we need the hallelujah. Praise the Lord for it. That's, that should be our response. The principle, <clears throat> pay attention to this information about the rapture of the church. We need to pay attention to this information about the rapture of the church. So he says, behold, I tell you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, mystery doctrine for the church, okay? but we shall all be changed. How fast? In a moment. This is in Atamas. It is used, Atamas is used once. So here it is. The word Tamas means cut. And the A on the front means not. So it says, not able to be cut. We get Adam, the word atom, A-T-O-M, from this Greek word. 
it's not able to be cut. Of course, we're going to split the atom, aren't we? Isn't that what we did to make bombs out of it and stuff like that? But this is talking about the smallest indivisible, indivisible unit, the smallest indivisible particle. And hence, it is an instant. In a moment, actually, some say in a heartbeat, that's too slow. In the blink of an eye, that's too slow. What we're talking about here is something we can't imagine the time on it. Because it will be like it's just there. It's happened. He says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So here's a little more explanation. In repay. Now, repay is only used once. I find it interesting whenever the writers of the New Testament start using Greek words. And they're only found once in the New Testament. They're found outside the New Testament. They're found once in a particular location in the New Testament. He's telling us this rapture is going to be a unique event. Totally unique. Just by the fact he's picked one word to describe a portion of this event. And the word repay means to throw or hurl. And it's used of any rapid movement. When this instant happens, literally in the sphere of, or during the most rapid movement of the eye, it's not a blink. It's just like you're looking straight ahead and, and you get a glimpse of something off to the side. And he says, it is a blink, it's a glance, it's a twinkle. They like the word twinkling of an eye. It's a good translation. How long does it take to twinkle? Long enough for the light to change? All those take too long. These words are faster than that. At the last trumpet. Oh, here we go in the wild blue yonder. When is the last trumpet? People have tried to connect the last trumpet to the Feast of Trumpets. Seventh trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets. They tried to connect them to the trumpets in the middle of the tribulation. At the last trumpet, that's where they try to make a mid-tribulational rapture because the seals come first. And after silence in heaven for about half an hour, about three years, then the trumpets start blowing. And then they try to make them at, at that. And that's where they can, the mid-tribbers try to make their argument for a mid-trib uh, rapture. Uh, others equate it with a blast at the second advent. And this blast at the second advent is um, uh, basically announcing the Lord's return. He is coming back to defeat all of his enemies. And so they have a post-trib rapture. And that's where it comes from. So this phrase, the last trumpet. In context, it refers to the last thing we'll hear before we're changed. Which one of those? Uh, It's a trumpet of its own making. Because what are trumpets used for? We'll look at it in just a second. He says, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. This is the last trumpet of the church age that is part of the mystery. The dead will be raised is a future passive indicative of a gyro. Indicative says it's a historical fact. So again, it is claiming dogmatic doctrinal truth right here. That's what it's doing. The passive, we didn't have anything to do with it. 
Passive means we receive the action. The future says it's somewhere in the future. When Paul writes this, we, we, and the dead shall be raised and we shall be changed. This is presented as a sequence. I, I love this because I, I lost count of how many funerals I've done over the years and you're standing out the graveside going, come on trumpet. <laughs> you know, this, this would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Probably scare the bejeepers out of most everybody because it's going to happen quickly in the twinkling of an eye. The dead are raised then. So we, I don't know how long a, the then is. Are we going to get a couple of seconds? Just long enough to go, wow. <laughs> We're going to get a minute or two? I don't know. But it is a sequence. And it could be very, very fast. Or the Lord could say, I'm going to give you a taste of this. Might say, yeah, I'm going to let you know. You're not going to have time to go pack your bags. Okay? It is going to be fast. The change is going to happen in a microsecond. When it happens, it happens. Trumpets were used throughout history to signal an event, such as an assembly or the arrival of a king. And that's what you can find consistently throughout the Old and New Testament. They are used to signal an event. Some of them were blown at specific certain times in Israel, and they were blown. We had, uh, I mentioned to you before, when the, when the blood moons hit back a few years ago, and, and um, we stepped outside to look at the, the blood moon, and I look, and all my neighbors are out <laughs> looking too, and I said, I said to Helen, what I would give for a shofar. <laughs> I would just love to my audriness but anyway the Lord is going to be carrying the trumpet what do we know about this trumpet he's going to, the Lord's going to be carrying it and he will shout his arrival like an archangel from 1 Thessalonians 4 you can turn there with me if you want while I lube up my throat again 1 Thessalonians 4 we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. It's actually the word ignorant. About those who are asleep, koimao, Christians who have fallen asleep, died physically, and that you may, who have fallen asleep, that you might not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Okay? So there is a grief that goes with the loss of a loved one. But we're not supposed to grieve like those who have no hope. There should be a mixture of emotions. We can indeed miss them. And it would be kind of strange if we didn't. But we also have the counterbalance if they're believers and knowing where they are. So we're not grieving like those who have no hope, like the Jews were grieving over the death of Lazarus. Which is the primary reason, I think, why the Lord wept. Because he knew he let him die. And let him get good and dead. Because he knew he was going to go raise him from the dead. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Isn't it amazing how that gospel gets just plugged in there? Even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep 
in Jesus. Hmm. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. The Greek actually says an archangelic voice, and it makes the archangelic a adjective to describe the voice that is coming out. So it, what it reads is that the Lord's going to be the one that shouts, and the Lord's going to be the one that blows the trumpet. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So I don't know if he says, Gabriel, hand me that thing. Time to go. Okay, But it indicates the Lord's going to blow the trumpet and he's going to shout. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the, an archangelic voice, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. So all of our loved ones out there at the cemetery... Or their ashes scattered all over the ocean. Or wherever it may be. They're going to rise first. Then. See that sequence? We who are alive and remain. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now that's, that's the greatest promise. For us in the church age. Other than our salvation. When he comes back. We're going to meet. Meet them in the clouds of the sky. And we're going to always be with the Lord. This goes with John 14. The night before the cross. Some people say Jesus never talked about the rapture. John 14 he says. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come and get you. And bring you to myself. Where is he? Heaven. That where I am there you may be also. Then when he comes back at the second advent. Revelation 19. When he comes back then, we're coming with him. We're his bride. We have been adorned for the great wedding feast. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul didn't write this so we could argue about it. He said, comfort one another with these words. This is such a solid doctrinal truth. That if you believe this and appropriate it, you know it. When you lose a loved one who's a believer in Christ. There should be a counterbalance there. That we are... Not going to never see them again. Now the first fact. Unregenerate humanity will inherit nothing. Change is required to inherit a kingdom. And the third fact. We have no control over this this uh, change for resurrection. When it happens. A trumpet sounds. You can't say wait a minute. I got some stuff to do. The word rapture. Interestingly enough. Harpazo is the word. It means to snatch by force. You say, well, can't I decide? No, you already decided. When you decided for Christ, that decision was made. And that translation into a new body for all of eternity, that's going to happen. That's why a lot of people are going to say, man, what is it? No clue about what happened. We have no control over this change for resurrection. And the promise... Believers are going to be resurrected and changed at the rapture. It's going to happen. The ones that have already passed away in their physical body, this outer body's decaying, the old man, the new man's being renewed day by day. One of these days, this old body's going to be cast off, and this new body 
that we're going to get, we're going to get it that fast. Faster than probably a thought can pass through our head. Isn't that amazing? Now, um, I don't want to get into the next verse yet, but it's explanations of what he's doing. But I, I think about from time to time, because I'm strange, I guess, I think about what's the world going to do with all this? <clears throat> There's going to be somebody with a camera going on their cell phone. And, and somebody's just going to disappear. That they've known for a time, a period of time, whatever it is. Maybe they're in Walmart and half of the people disappear out of Walmart. They're going, what happened? What happened? What happened? It will be a great time for evangelization. But you can bet the devil has already got his plan in place because I don't think the devil doubts the rapture. He just wants to get other people to doubt the rapture. I think he knows it's coming. And he is a master deceiver. It's been uh, studied people that look at New Age and stuff like that that the leaders of the major religions of the world they're looking for the next one. The fifth Buddha as it's called in Buddhism Lord Maitreya. That hey they're waiting for a time. Now are these run by demons that are going to manifest themselves and get the get the opportunity to do that after this happens but there's going to be supposedly all the world leaders of the major religions are due to come back to have their next representative come back so hmm, who might they look to an antichrist it's all set up it's been set up for a while but it every day that goes it just gets that much closer. That many more things fall into place. God's word is true. So we can live our lives looking up. Not while you're driving. But <laughs> with an attitude. <laughs> looking in the right direction. And listening. Waiting on the trumpet sound. And expecting this instantaneous change. That's a good way to live this life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, your love, your mercy, your grace, all your blessings and all your tests. And, Father, we just thank you for your word that brings such great encouragement to us. Father, I pray as we face different tests this week, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring this back to mind. That, Father, the, the battles are already won. It's just the mop-up operation down here now. And, Father, I pray that you'll indeed help us to be your witnesses we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.